We ain't repeating the past, we beating them fast, straight cheating the class like a millennial eating an ass. Brain slick precipice of anime shit. Watching caddy chips with improbable tits and ten story mecha troll robot fits, grabbing our thick, sick, slick tentacle dicks. Killing it, son. We don't need a pulse rifle. Chilling at home, getting white foods to fight you with mail or sword. Getting ready to slice and dice you. Running through Japan like a motherfucking typhoon. Is that too soon? We know you need this. You better believe this. Welcome to episode three of You Better Believe It. This time we're talking about 1994 Street Fighter II movie, as it's called in Japan. It is uh, based on the game of the same name. And good lord, Nate Regolia, what is going on in Street Fighter II movie? Oh man, um, well one, it's it's luckily not a sequel to the film Street Fighter with Jean-Claude Van Damme, Kylie Minogue, and uh, a bunch of other people. Raul Julia. Nothing to do with that. I, I was really actually, I you know what? I really actually like this movie a lot. Yeah, I wasn't prepared, um, and we'll probably touch on this a lot, but this might be, and I mean this literally and not pejoratively, the gayest movie I've ever seen. Oh, no, absolutely. It is It is a, uh, a, a generation-long love story between Ken and Ryu. That is, that is the underlying plot of this. And I, I think they executed it brilliantly. No, I thought it was great. But, I mean, it's all out on Front Street. Like, it's not even subtle. Oh, yeah, no, it's... I, I, I love the... the. I mean, it, okay, so the movie's like uh, an hour and a half long. Yeah, give or take. At least 30 minutes of it are these loving flashbacks that both Ken and Ryu have where they wistfully remember uh, training with each other, whether it was shadow boxing or wrestling or whatever. <laughs> It, TJ and I have this theory that the subtext of every action movie is a gay love affair, but this isn't even subtext. It's all super text. Oh yeah, it's uh, it's super super text. And, and yeah, I mean, there's the, the the there's a lot of stuff written about war movies being basically like, hey, this is the only way we can show men in relationships is through war because otherwise uh, it gets too dicey for the uh, closeted or uh, closed-minded heterosexual male. Right, so like, <laughs> this movie, this movie is all about like that kind of brotherhood that is definitely deeper. Um, I I have wonderful notes. I should we should we start by talking about what the movie's about, or or do you want to talk about your relationship to the subject matter? Because I think oh. I've played every permutation of this series. I think like even the kind of weirdo like Neo Geo Pocket versions, and I'm a big, 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 big fan. From yeah, me too. Me too. I mean, I was uh, I I had I had Street Fighter Two on my Super Nintendo. I got Super Street Fighter Two on my Super Nintendo. I've probably well, there was a gap. I didn't really get into three or four or Alpha, um, though I did play them. Um, but yeah, I I, I was uh, I even picked up five uh, a couple years ago, and then as they sort of as Capcom fixed the game because it was. Pretty, pretty widely known to be kind of busted and lame when it came out in, initially, but uh, it, I'm I'm very attached to these characters, and and it was it was cool to see them all executed this way. Um, that seemed to understand what the video game was, 
which I mean, all my other experiences with Street Fighter, which granted, I mean, it's really just that other movie, right? <laughs> uh, seems to have absolutely no idea what the game is about or what even the context of any of this is supposed to be. Uh, yeah, we're, this is a big uh, progressive step for us on episode three. We've got a female lead who's actually more than somewhat competent. And two oh, black... Chun Li is a fucking badass in this movie. Yeah, and two black characters, uh, one of which is only portrayed as sort of racist, and the other one is we'll talk about Balrog's portrayal a little bit later on. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, I have a note um, when they uh, let's see. Is it about his eyes? Oh. Oh, about Barog's eyes? Yeah. No, you're you're gonna you'll have to hit on that because okay. I my my but my note to your point about this being not as racist as the first two things we watched was uh, when T Hawk appears and fights with Ken. I was like, well, yeah, T Hawk is really poorly done. Like he's as over the top racist uh, for an indigenous person as possible. However, it took us 25 whole minutes of movie to get to that. Yeah, and that's which I, mean, I thought was a, just an achievement. <laughs> and to be fair, the the base material is all caricatures and stereotypes. Like, oh yeah, no, yeah. I mean, they, they, this whole thing has been has been very yeah. It is it is cartoonish uh, stereotypes, and yeah, I don't I, I I question whether it was ever intended in a racist way so much as that like because of the nature of a fighting game where every character has to have a gimmick. Uh, the easiest graphical gimmick is to give people ethnicities and then assign cultural, uh, you know, cultural, uh, whatever, accoutrement as necessary. So, <laughs> yeah, let's talk about what it's about because I get the fighting part. The other parts are so just like arcane and dense. I don't. So, so here's my sense of what the movie is. Okay. Uh, the movie opens, uh, the credit sequence is is Ryu and Sagat having a fight in a field. Um, On a street in a field. Yeah, there's a street in the field, which I which I made a note about, because it's like, it's night, and there's like that dramatic thunderstorm thing happening, and they're fighting each other, and there's a street next to a field, and objectively nothing else around for miles. Right. So, really pushing the conceit of street fighting right away. Uh, but the, the, the plot of the movie... Is is basically like uh, Bison runs this secret crime organization called Shadow Law. In this, Has rather it, than Lou. Before you get too far, have you ever heard Shadow Law in any other version of this franchise in any way? It's always been Lou. Do you think it's a localization problem? Because there's some weird localization issues otherwise in this movie. Yeah, that could be. That could be. That's a good thought. Um, yeah, I just kind of I, I took it as as maybe a translation problem, uh, but I also had a hard time believing that was the case because it's like this. I don't know the the franchise was so big at the time that this came out that that would be like the number one thing you would check. Yeah, and they and they managed to change all of the character names who are changed for the Americas as compared to the Japanese names, like how. Bison and oh, yeah. Balrog switch, uh, or well, Balrog is Vega. Vega is is Bison. Bison is Balrog, right? Yeah, like, I think so. Because M Bison's name is a, a, a Mike Tyson reference, right? Initially for the Japanese, um, but yeah. Anyway, so the 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 movie opens with 
uh, this beautiful connection to the other two things we've watched, which, which is uh, we're looking through the mechanical, all-seeing left eye of a robot. <laughs> and I was like, oh, are we Goku in this movie? Is the audience Goku? Uh, thankfully, we are not. No, it's just it's a, it's a, a fleet of pervert cyborgs. The, the plot is uh, M. Bison runs this organization called Shadow La Lu. He's looking for the best warriors in the world so he can brainwash them and use them to assassinate people. We see Cammy trash this politician in the opening minutes, breaking his neck in brutal fashion. Um, while a reporter asked uh, a really great question, which is, what is your stance on the homeless? Yeah, what, what is your stance on them? Like, that is an odd way to phrase that question. I, I, I mean, I loved it because it gave me this instant laugh out loud. I was like, oh, good. The translation's going to be a little like this. Yeah. But, like, could you imagine, could you imagine if, if somebody asked, like, Trump, like, so what's your, what's your stance on the homeless? We've got the best homeless. They're the most homeless of all the homeless. Nobody's as homeless as our homeless. Uh, but... But so, yeah, so Bison is using these uh, cyborgs that have these mechanical left eyes, and they're basically like, they're like Roombas with cameras on them, I guess. They're GoPro Roombas, but human-sized. I, I and also, they just appear to be everywhere. And I appreciate how they're um, slyly dressed like firemen and shit, and it's yeah. hysterical. When, when, when Ryu meets DJ, and they, they catch the robot on the street because... He's wearing, like, a letter jacket and a ball cap, but he's otherwise clearly a robot. <laughs> it's like, oh, this is the adorable incognito of just, like, raising a newspaper in front of your face and assuming no one will know you're there. Yeah, and those cyborgs' functions aren't to fight. They are to record this spurious number level of fighting prowess that right. how they arrive at that. I have no idea. Yeah, but the numbers are, like, huge. Yeah, it's, like, not even, it's not like a 1 to 10. It's like a 36. Nobody's over 29, 20. He's at 36, 80. Like. <laughs> but, yeah. But, yeah. So, so Bison has an army of cyborgs that are just out to record to find out who these warriors are because yeah, he wants they, to brainwash somebody. These robots are bipedal karate thermometers. That is their <laughs> entire function. <laughs> Uh, if, if if we named episodes, I think we should name this bipedal karate thermometer. Um, I, I, I want to call out that in the opening sequence, too, right before the, the uh, senator or whoever is asked about their position on the homeless, there is a banner that, that lays out the uh, 90s video game conceit of saying no to drugs immediately. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. But it's like it's also curiously worded because it's like is it like three different things it says? But it's yeah. uh, yeah, yeah. It was like drugs not okay or something. And then and then it yeah, it was it was adorable. There's also kind of a geography problem at least with the version we watched cuz I watched the dub. Did you I assume the dub? Yeah, I watched the dub cuz we need to talk about the voiceover, the the voice actors in this. Yeah, and the um the the title cards for the places that they're in, they didn't bother to translate, so they're all still in kanji, so I have no idea. Like, I didn't know they were in New York until, like, the end of the movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, the, the, the yeah, the dub has no subtitling for any of, of the kanji, so it's just, 
uh, yeah, good luck. And yeah. sort of hoping that you pick up that, well, they mean that this is this place. Yeah. It was helpful when he when Ryu goes to India because there was a man who looked just like Gandhi speaking, which threw me off on what timeline we were on. Yeah. But, uh, well, I mean, you know. I, I think that's just shorthand. Yeah, it was definitely shorthand because that, that Gandhi got trashed by uh, somebody who... Because who, that guy got killed. There was Oh, yeah, the... Because there was a because uh, Shadowloo apparently has also like a, a black suited gun toting contingent because Bison really likes street fighting but he also just likes killing people sometimes. Yes. What? Uh, so God, we're like two minutes in the movie. Go ahead. I'll stop interrupting you until you get through the basic. Oh yeah, yeah. So yeah, so 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 Bison is trying to just he wants to collect all this data because he wants the best possible fighters that he can use his psycho power to which I, I love that right yeah My psycho power because um, he says that no less than 20 times in the movie referencing yeah. his psycho power yeah the, um, the, his psycho power is the left eye of this movie yeah and it's and he and he utters it with like teeth gritting pre-orgasmic sort of ecstasy every time he says it too uh, <laughs> But uh, but yeah, so so he's just trying to collect information on these people, and and what we get is uh, I think a brilliant application of what the game is, which uh, we're following Ryu. We, we it, we it's pretty much a two hander, but they're never in the same place until the end. We follow Ryu, who is wandering around like like Bruce Banner, right? Just doesn't belong anywhere. And he's always doing good things. He has multiple save the cat moments, like this this kid in India trips and drops his milk, and Ryu buy gives him money to buy more milk. Right. Like we have these very clear things, like Ryu is the good guy. Well, then he, he sends this this uh, what you presume is like a beggar child to a Indian hospital with no insurance, where that kid's probably just going to get put in a sack and drowned. It's like, I mean, it's it's. Uh, one way to deal with what was going on in that kid's life. <laughs> I suppose it is. This kid, the kid, like, lives in, like, a legitimate hole in a wall. Like, the kid's mother kind of, like, slides into frame. <laughs> she, she, she never speaks, and she never gets closer than maybe middle distance in the shot. But she is definitely, like, hiding under a cloak. And, and, and ravenously awaiting her child to bring the milk back. But never once does she come out and be like, hey, that... Uh, you know, big Japanese man who no one's ever seen before. Don't don't manhandle my kid. Oh yeah, and that kid for real. If she had hit this version of Ryu at any kind of speed, would be like a bag full of powder. Oh he, yeah, he is mountainous. Oh yeah, he's he's uh, maybe not quite to the level that he is now with the musculature, but yes. he is a huge dude. And uh, and as we see in the opening, he's able to. I guess the the Hadoken. Uh, in in this film, anyway, is a sort of conflagration of lightning pulled down from the sky. Yeah, it seems that into way. It's a ball lightning. Yeah, and turned into a ball. Which I mean, it always seemed like fire to me in the game, but you know, uh, there's really no science here. So yeah, I hope somebody got fired for that blunder. Yeah, right. Jeez, <laughs> put so him in a sack and drown him. Right. Give him the old Indian ER treatment. <laughs> that's, that's not a nice thing. To no, say. it's not. <laughs> um, yeah. Ryu has one uh, item of clothing, and it is this karate gi, which he wears no matter what he's doing throughout the entire movie. And I, I okay, and here's so I'm unclear as to what Ryu was doing. 
He is like Bruce Banner going around, but instead of righting wrongs, he's looking for people to fight him. Okay, but, so that that was that was it. I didn't miss anything. No, his he, goal is to cement his number one place as a fighter by traveling the world with some unknown amount of resources that I don't I don't know how he's getting from place to place. Right. But just to prove that he's the best. Yeah. Okay, great. And that's but, all Ken wants to do too. Yeah, but he never actually actively seeks out any fights. He gets like harangued into fights the entire time. Yeah, it's true. He's always he's always stumbling upon people fighting or yeah, or or he gets caught in a fight that that has nothing to do with him. Or like uh, when he fights Fei Long, who, it's who, because he wandered. He he somehow gets kidnapped and brought into a Las Vegas underground mob fighting ring. Yeah, it's uh, it's reminiscent of the uh, if you've ever read Neuromancer when Molly Millions is walking case through that like shoot fighting arena. Yeah, everybody's yeah, gambling that's, on. That's a good parallel. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So what's interesting, uh, Fei Long is voiced by uh, Brian Cranston of Breaking Bad. Uh, what's interesting is you look at the IMDb for this, all of the voice actors have pseudonyms listed for the credits. Right. And I cross-referenced it on three different websites, and I couldn't get any clarity as to why they all have that. But there were like, even, even Bo Billingsley, who does the voice of Jet uh, in Cowboy Bebop, He's featured as DJ, and I think is Balrog too, because yeah, yeah, we don't uh, lie. But but it's a race thing, everyone who's listening. Yeah. Uh, but but uh, also not credited as himself. Maybe it's a union thing where they're only allowed to do a certain amount of work per year or something, and they have to use a like a, a numbed voice. For other things, I assume it would have to be something like that, but I don't know off the top of my head. That's that's better than my my guess was uh, that that everybody was like, man, this could be a real pile of shit, and I don't want my name on it. Well, speaking of the voice, and I know we're, we're jumping all over the place, so forgive us, but uh, the all the performances, it sounds like somebody is in the booth strangling everyone as they're delivering their lines. Like it is the most like gritty guttural growl dialogue you've ever heard in your entire life oh yeah no it's it, it, it is it's a, it's either they're being strangled or there's like a, a a a bag in the in the recording studio and they're like you have to throw a punch every time you speak <laughs> so that you are just running out of air and growling through the thing now the only pe- the only person who doesn't do that is chun li who is voiced in a very traditional playful kind of anime way yeah she's the kid's sister if the kid's sister had an inordinately long shower scene in the middle of your movie right which which i i mean uh, of all the nudity we've seen so far in in these three pieces well we didn't see any in the first one but of all the nudity we've seen this was like it, it was fine it was yeah. it didn't have to be there but it wasn't super tasteless. It didn't linger that long. I mean, we got you. You saw everything, which I was surprised. Yeah. Um, but it precedes this incredibly badass fight scene where she kicks the shit out of Vega. This movie is intensely violent, and not just like the fist fighting, but there are legitimate murders. I know you touched on the uh, assassination by Hurricane Rana earlier with Cammy, but there are people getting shot to death. Like this is like a 
much more violent movie than I expected. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I, I was I was blown away by the amount of blood, and and yeah, I mean, Cammy leaps onto the shoulders of the uh, senator who we don't know his position on the homeless, no. and she breaks his neck with her thighs, a la uh, you know Zinnia Anatop from Goldeneye. And uh, and it's brutal because the guy's head is twisted all the way around. Like they're pulling no punches on <laughs> on the on the death in this. No, and Cam- or, uh, Chun Li is a Interpol agent, which in text on the screen is hilariously spelled I N T E R P O L E. <laughs> nice. <laughs> like everybody, it's the whole movie is get Bison, and everybody has some kind of like vague reason as to why they want him because I'm not really sure what it is. He's performing criminal acts, but again, to what end, I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, I mean, I and and it, and it's it is left so oblique that after a certain point I didn't really care. I was like, okay, I get it. What he wants he wants all these people because he's building an army of brainwashed super fighters. He'll do whatever bad shit he's going to do. Right. Including, uh, at the end of the movie, appearing randomly inside a semi for some reason. Uh, yeah, but, I, I think there's some lip service paid to them selling drugs, but they are the most conspicuous drug dealers possibly ever. I mean, Bison is seven foot four, made of solid muscle with glowing red eyes and a cape, and Sagat's even taller and wears nothing but Muay Thai shorts. Yeah, yeah, you know, no, no, they are not. Uh, they are not inconspicuous, and no. they have no interest in being inconspicuous. No, Bison and... seems prepared to glow and or levitate all the time. And Vega is Richard Ramirez. The, I mean, th- that's the only way he seems to be because we only really get Vega in that Chun Li fight where he night stalkers in the window and then waits for her to come out of the shower. Yeah, that scene is like. His side of that scene is very sexual, like very, but like creepy, not like rapey. Like, oh yeah, no, no, he's yeah, he's like, grossly like dripping with this sort of homicidal uh, erection thing the whole time. Yeah, and then and then he, you know, Chun Li kicks kicks him in the face, and uh, you know his his beautiful face because that's one of Vega's character traits throughout the game series is he's this narcissistic. Uh, pretty boy who wears the mask because he got a scar or whatever. Right. And and she scars him, and then he goes off on this just, like, disgusting, monotonous tirade, calling her every possible name that they can get away with. And then and then she still just kicks the shit out of him. It was it was beautiful. Yeah. Um, and there's a... There's, there's also a runner in this movie about people getting cut off in traffic. I don't know if that's, like, a personal beef that the writer had. But it happens like seven times. It's like you fucking dickhead. Like, just... oh yeah, Ken gets cut off and Guile gets cut off. Yeah. Oh man. Oh, oh man. Man. okay, okay. We gotta. We, I want to. I want to make sure we talk about. We gotta talk about Guile and Ken separately for a moment. Okay. Um. So so our main protagonist in this film is Ryu, who is Bruce Bannering around looking for people to fight to prove himself. We also have Ken, who seems to be the second character. Of, of importance, of great importance. And he's kind of doing the same thing, except he's doing it in a more overtly American way, I'll say, because he's going and picking fights with people. Yes, and he's also allowed to have clothes. Oh yeah, and he and he and he wears different outfits. 
he has a Porsche, and he has a girlfriend. Uh, we got to talk about the girlfriend when you're done with the, oh, the, the, the overview. We are going to talk about the girlfriend. I was trying to remember what her name is. It's Eliza. It's my Eliza. Brain, it's my brainy sister, Eliza. <laughs> Man, they really got Apu out of that jam. I wonder if they'll show up to help keep Apu out of the jam now that, that he's in on The Simpsons. Uh, yeah, he who should not be named. I Look, sidebar on this, cause okay. I, and I think this is important. I think they should have just said, hey, Hank Azari is willing to step aside. Let's cast an Indian actor and keep doing it. Yeah. Now, I, so, go ahead. I am not a South Asian, um, and I'm also not sensitive to a lot of things involving just kind of broad ethnic stereotypes, like very broad, sort of harmless ones. But Apu is never presented in like a lesser than sort of way. In fact, he's like one of the better citizens of the town. He's the most desirable bachelor in the town for an entire episode. Yeah, and he's a PhD candidate at least, if not has a PhD. Yeah, because he had that entire computer program on punch cards. Right. He's yes. A, he's a citizen, which is one of my favorite episodes still. Oh, yeah. The um, Nine Mets are my favorite squadron. Let's take a relaxed attitude towards work and watch the baseball match. <laughs> Dude, my favorite, my favorite bit in that whole episode is... Uh, what was the Civil War about? Well, the causes of the Civil War are many and varied. Just say slavery. Slavery it is, sir. <laughs> it's too bad that that hasn't uh, held on no, over the last no. few years. No. <laughs> but, but yeah, I would... I, the, the sidebar to the sidebar is uh, they should cancel The Simpsons already. Yeah, it should have been over stop, years Stop ago. making this. If, if we're to this point where now we're bickering... Uh, anyway, I love I love what the show was and what the show is now is... is Questionable at best. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Ken's got a Porsche. He's got his blonde girlfriend, uh, Eliza. And uh, he's like, they're going to cafes and stuff. They're just hanging out. And all the while, Ken's also constantly flashing back he to is, train with Ryu. He's legitimately pining for him, is what's yeah. going on. He, he wants to know where Ryu is. When Ryu's not on screen, everybody's asking, where's Ryu? It's a Poochie situation. <laughs> and uh, T-Hawk, Ken fights T-Hawk, right? Yeah. T-Hawk uh -huh. has the lamest insult towards Ryu, which everybody knows who Ryu is. Like, which is hysterical because most people probably don't know who the heavyweight boxing champion is. But everybody in this universe knows who the king of the street fighters is. So, T-Hawk refers to Ryu as a vagabond, and Ken freaks out. Ow! Oh. Yeah, I forgot about that. That was absurd because it, it, it is as if they didn't understand, the translation didn't understand that the word vagabond is really not a big deal. No. <laughs> because it's really what he is. He's yeah. a guy traveling around with no, he doesn't seem to have any sort of home or aim or anything. Or shoes. He doesn't have shoes. <laughs> yeah. So, I know we haven't talked about Gal yet, but I want to talk about this scene with Ken and Eliza. Where Ken makes one last, like, half, not even, like, like quarter-assed ditch at heterosexuality when he turns to his girlfriend, Cold, and goes, we should get married. To which she responds, you've never talked about marriage before, and she tries to talk about it, and then he just goes, whatever, and goes back to pining about Ryu. It is yeah. the funniest thing I've ever seen. They are driving in his Porsche with the top down, and yeah, he just turns and he's like, uh, we should get married. And then, and, and, and what I loved, I made a note about this because he drops her off and he's like, Hey, did you think about the, 
you know, what, what's your answer? And she's like, I'm still going to have to think about it because she knows oh, she knows yeah. this guy is not at all interested. And it, and it was it was so like that was the thought I had, too, is this is this is a guy who is in love with his with his buddy. But he really thinks that he, he's got to lock this girl down because otherwise everybody's going to find out that he's in love with his buddy. Right. <laughs> and it was just but it was it was adorable. It was really it was really sweet. But I and I appreciated I appreciated honestly the way that the way that Eliza was written to be, you know, she didn't swoon and and say, yes, oh, yes, I've been waiting forever. She was like, what are you what are you talking about? Like, you barely even understand me or like, this is the first time you've spoken to me in three days yeah yeah <laughs> and like you said yeah she's drawn as kind of like the the bubble head so you're expecting like so the, like yeah mr j like that kind of thing but no right. she's like a person with agency for five minutes it's like i'm not marrying this gay dude that never talks to me and just thinks about his karate fighting friend all day long and now he's mad Oh yeah, Ken Ken was bummed out when she's like, "I'm gonna consider it." And he was like, "Ugh," and then he drives off, and then we never see her again for the rest of the film. No, she doesn't. She pick them up or pick him up when uh they hilariously end up at some gas station after they get back standing outside in the middle of nowhere. Oh oh yeah, she does. She picks him up at the gas station where they <laughs> reconcile post battle. Oh my god, man, they're gonna. That's gonna be a rough ride home. I. Oh. I really, I, I hope that if there's not a sequel to this, that you and I can secure the funding to make a sequel where we really explore what happens uh, between Ryu and the semi and Ken and Eliza and just kind of, just to bring the two the two guys together because they really just need to, they need to have their relationship. They need the airport scene. Yeah, oh, they totally do. They totally do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as as Ryu's flying back to Tokyo after passing, I don't know, thirty bad cashier checks. <laughs> yeah, because how does he have any money? He has a bindle and nothing else. No, and the the last he doesn't even count that silly ass money he gives to the street urchin. He's just like, here, I guess this is how much milk costs. <laughs> and it was a it was a pretty big <laughs> wad of money, as I recall. Yeah, there's like there, there's a if they're ones, it's still like twenty dollars. Yeah, and they're, so, that's right, they're in India when they run, uh, not a foul, but kind of run past E-Honda, who's fighting Dalsim. Yeah. And E-Honda is, like, has the rich Texan accent. And We're he's, learning and he's, how to train, goddammit! Well, and he's, and he is, he's, he's the, he is the most cartoonish character we're introduced to. He's, he's like a lovable lunkhead. Yeah. And he, he's dumb and just, like... I mean, he thanks Ryu for showing up because when Ryu shows up, uh, I wrote down that that uh, Dalsim just sort of sensed his big dick energy, I guess, because he like stops fighting and cranes around to look for like, well, we're in the presence of something amazing because Dalsim has the force, I guess, it, or you know, this, this comes to the the, the way that uh, mysticism is treated in this game too, which is it's problematic. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. oh man um so, guile okay uh, guile is is uh hilariously dumb but he's the perfect guile he's got a mustang he 
shows up in a fighter jet to start the to start his appearance, <laughs> climbs out, and Chun Li's like, "Hey, you got to help me out. We're gonna go get this guy. Let's do it together." And he's like, "Nah, I'm just gonna kill him myself because I'm a tough guy he and I don't is, like with people." <laughs> he is like, he was like born from like an Uncle Sam doll and the Statue of Liberty. He is like Mr. America. Oh yeah, I mean his and, and, and Chun Li calls him Brushhead once, which I thought was that was wonderful. Uh but yeah, he's like but otherwise he is he is a complete non factor in this. He's sort of I, I don't know, he's like maybe he's a a audience surrogate character. <laughs> The 66 Mustang is the most American of American cars, correct? Like, that era of Mustang, that, like... Oh, yeah, yeah. That is shorthand for America. Oh, it, it definitely is. I mean, and it, it, it made me nostalgic because I, I, for a little bit, for a little bit, for, like, five years, I had a 66 Mustang convertible that I oh. bought in high school. And my dad and I replaced the engine after the original one threw a rod, and then it was, you know, college happened, and there just wasn't time to keep maintaining something that I could almost never drive. Right. Uh, but but yeah, it's it is super iconic, and he is he is being he is being quintessentially American. Yeah, and he's, he's not like party boy rich American like like Ken is. No, and he is also um, I think his quest involves vengeance for his lost homosexual love, Charlie. I, yeah, who who is is Charlie Blanca in this movie? No, I think that's in it's in the live action movie. I think that's a. A creation of that movie. Oh, okay. Well, I mean that's good because I think it's it's terribly dumb. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um. <laughs> yeah, the whole, yeah, the whole plot of Street Fighter the movie is Raul Julia wants some like some pittance, like he like wants to kidnap the Queen of England. So Shadow Lou, I think they're called Bison Bucks if memory serves. We reviewed it on the other show. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it'll be recognized as an international currency for like the princely sum of like 13 million dollars he wants which isn't like enough to power his floating desk like he wants some like it's like they asked the kid like hey Billy what's the biggest amount of money you could think of and that's what they went with because it makes no sense oh you know and it's it's supposed to run what is he he presumably like has all of Indonesia under his control yeah (laughs) As a as a giant super city, yeah, it's some kind of weird like ethno techno state. Yeah, I mean that, that movie is terrible. Yes. Uh, this movie is not terrible. What is our? I said this movie is not terrible. No, this movie is good. Yeah, I I we're I mean when we get to when we get to waifus, well, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so uh, as part of his nebulous mixed martial arts crime plans. Bison kidnaps Ken because they have the same power level, him and Ryu, but he has some heretofore unknown potential energy that Ryu has or something. So Bison kidnaps him and Clockwork Orange style brainwashes him with his psycho power. Yeah. Do I have that right? Yeah, that was my read is that he was like, hey, Ken's the next best thing to Ryu. And uh, he's just driving around in his Porsche with the top down like a dipshit, so we're, we'll pick him up. His Porsche, he could not possibly fit in. Oh, God, no. <laughs> He'd be so wide, like... Ugh. Like, she's probably shit pissed because she can't shift because he's so fucking big. 
And to, to a point where later on he refers to Ryu as Mr. Muscles, which is odd because they are exactly the same size. Yeah, no, they're, they're and, and they are character models the same, except yeah. for eye shape and hair color and brow. That is it. <laughs> but they are otherwise the same entity. <laughs> oh, did, we didn't talk about one of these flashback scenes. You find out that Ryu's headband is Ken's old hair tie, which, again, super gay. But the way he... Ryu cuts his forehead or something, so Ken ties a headband to it, which is not how you treat a wound. But in it, the in the angle that it's presented, it looks like he is about to get like the sweetest blowjob for Ryu anyone's ever got. <laughs> oh my god, that's funny. Yeah, the 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 headband origin story was 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 very odd because it's it puts a lot of weight on something that's extremely insignificant as far as as far as the characters at all. Yeah, like a lot of emotional weight. There's a lot behind that hair tie headband. Yeah, it's like, do, do you remember that time when, when like, as professional fighters, I cut you, and then I dressed your wound with the thing that was in my long, greasy, ratty hair, so yeah. it's almost certainly infected as fuck by now? It's like Scott Adkins' gift of the Magi. Like, it is, like, <laughs> it's insane. And they also, they have a sensei who you never see, so it looks like they're getting advice from a talking house. Oh, Yeah. Like, yeah, somehow I, it, he can hear him, like, talking like you and I are talking in this house with the door shut and respond, like, telepathically? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was like, a real sort of peanut situation, but you didn't even get a muted trombone to understand what, what was going on. Yeah, that was an odd choice. <laughs> I, you know, it's, it, it, it's not about that, though. It's not about who trained them. It's about the love that blossomed between them because of the training. Yeah, it's about what happens at the end of your fist. Yeah, you know? <laughs> or, or within the grip of your fist, I guess, depending on the situation. Um, oh, man. Uh, I, I will say that, so the beauty of this movie is that it, it's brutally violent on one hand, but it also really blends in a lot of the goofy anime tropes well. Yeah. So that uh, it's both cartoonish and joyful and kind of whimsical, but it also doesn't, you know, it doesn't it doesn't take its foot off the gas when it comes to snapping a person's neck or or blood flying or whatever. And I, I really admired that honestly. I thought it was a beautiful blend of the the at least what we've seen so far. Yeah, and that and joy. They really managed the tone of this movie really well. Um. Oh, so plot-wise, we're back. Guile is hunting for M. Bison. I don't know where anybody is at this point. They are somewhere. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, no. I, uh, it, it almost didn't matter to me. No. Like, geographically, I have no idea where anybody yeah. is. But they're all going toward kind of someone. Yeah, so that's Sa okay. Sagat's pissed because Bison won't let him fight Ryu. Yeah, because he's, yeah, because Sagat really, like, wants to prove himself. And he probably also is in love with Ryu, because I think that's actually the thing. Is like, this could be Everybody Loves Ryu, the movie. Oh, shit. It's a, it's a, she, they, she's all that at him? Yeah! Yeah, that's, that's what it is. <laughs> so, Guile has his military guys drop him off to find Ryu in this helicopter, and they just leave. 
Like, what was his plan? It's like, okay, come back and pick me up later, or they just abandoned him. Like, good luck, dickhead. I mean, presumably he's he's of high enough rank or whatever that he could just commandeer some sort of transportation home. But yeah, I mean, there there seems to be a boundless amount of revenue or resources going into just transporting Guile to places to leave him. I want to see the movie of the guy in, like, Air Force requisitions that has to balance the budget for this operation, like the fucking Senate inquiry, like... <laughs> How did this one guy spend thirty-eight million dollars on fucking transport in two days? He he went to two places literally, and he didn't come back with anything. How no. did we spend this money? And this is like a rogue operation, right? This isn't like, or is it? Because like the Interpol and Air Force, I don't know, are normal uh, crime fighting partners. Yeah, I mean, I, he yeah, because Guile really he turns down Chun Li and Interpol, but he. I mean, he's still not, he's not like, I don't know, he's not the president, so he doesn't have the, the total might of the armed forces under his control. Nate, Guile has an F-14 Tomcat as his personal transportation. It's that and the Mustang, that's yeah. it. Yeah. It's like, I'm a, but he never flies the plane again. No. Because that would have been too interesting. <laughs> oh my god. So, uh, Bison oh, shows oh, up. Oh, go ahead. Did you have something? Uh, uh, this, this this rolls back a little bit, but Ryu is talking, uh, I think talking to, um, well, I don't know. Throughout throughout the opening half of the movie, at least, Ryu keeps interacting with these characters who we, we know of from aspects of the games. And almost every single one of them mentions Shadow Law to him. And every single time somebody mentions Shadow Law to Ryu, he acts like he's never heard the term before in his entire life. Like, he's walking across a bridge with Fei Long, and he's like, Shadow Law. And he's like, what? <laughs> it's like, no, no, the, the, the same organization that three other people mentioned to you within the last ten minutes. Yeah, Ryu, everybody else is in a Street Fighter movie, and Ryu is in Memento. Yeah. He has, like, no short-term memory whatsoever. <laughs> oh, my God. And every one of those characters they run across is introduced, like, strictly for fan service and then dropped because none of them come back at the end. Oh, yeah, uh, no. DJ, for instance, uh, they talk to DJ in Vegas, right? Yeah. Or, or, or they... Or maybe they're in New York and maybe they're supposed to be in the Bronx or something. This is where it gets difficult to know where things are. Yeah. I don't yeah. want to hear no more about that bomber clock shadow law no more Lord of Mercy. Like, that's his whole bit. And then he's gone. And then he's gone. And then he's gone. He 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 references uh, people not liking his music, which is uh, clearly racist. <laughs> Just like my character is an accent, and people don't understand my music, and I'm upset about it. Uh, I can't <laughs> chant down Babylon no more. You find out that <laughs> Fei Long is an asshole to go along with the longstanding grudge that the Japanese have against the Chinese, because there's no reason that that like you know nothing about this guy. It's like Fei Long, he's an asshole. Yeah, and all, and all he does is, is, is he's like, hey, I'm an actor, and then I'm going to go fight in this thing, and then he and Ryu fight, and Ryu barely wins. Yeah. And then we never see Fei Long again either. No. Other than for him to tell Ryu about Shadow Law's existence, and then Ryu goes, what? Uh, so uh, they, they go to Vegas at one point, and this is, well, yeah, and this is when they get to the weird Zangief Blanca. I forgot uh, all about that, because they're there for like ten seconds. Yeah, but... As we're as we're panning through this uh, 
organized crime bacchanal in Vegas, uh, there's one mobster guy sitting on a chair and he has a woman on his lap and he's just pouring a bottle of champagne onto her thigh. Yeah, that was weird. It's supposed to be, if, if I know anything from 90s era hip hop videos, he should be pouring it directly on top of her tits, not I mean, on her leg. You would you would think it would have been somewhere that was referencing something, but it was just odd to pour it onto her thigh while she sits there. And there's like nothing like that around them going on. No, it's not like there is a music video occurring, and he is acting in a music video. He just appears to be a man who is out with a woman and thinks, you know what you want, champagne leg. Maybe it's a kink. Maybe it's like the only way he can ejaculate anymore. <laughs> it's just. I just, look, I just gotta pour a third bottle on you, then we can, then maybe something will happen. <laughs> yeah, there's oh so God. much shit in this movie that makes no sense, and it is not lampshaded, and it is not referenced again. It just happens, you gotta deal with it, and it moves on. Oh yeah, but, it, but, it, but, and we but haven't luckily, even... like, none of it, none of it sticks for long enough that it forces, like, that it takes you out of the movie. And it's just sort of... We haven't even mentioned the insane '90s soundtrack that this movie had that I was totally unprepared for. Oh yeah, I was. I really kind of. I really kind of liked the soundtrack. Oh, I loved it, but like, I was not expecting KMFDM to score this movie. Right. <laughs> or like, what is it? Are they playing the Screaming Trees during the botched marriage proposal? It's it's some like of that ilk. Like I yeah. nearly lost you there, or something like that. Yeah, yeah, no, you're 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 spot on because that's playing in the background the entire time they're driving, and as he's pulling up to her house, which is maybe like a gated fortress of some kind. <laughs> they like stop, and the gates opening, and the and the chorus kicks in, and then it sort of fades down a little bit, and she's like, "I'll think about it, Ken." Yeah, she never says, "Look, Ken, come on, I I know how you really feel. Let's just." Let's just drop the charade, okay? <laughs> it is, uh, I know it. The kids know it. Dogs know it. The only person who doesn't seem to know it is you. <laughs> this guy who has to wear all red all the time, including driving a red Porsche, but can't shut up about Ryu. Yeah, it's like he's a fireman. You know, like, yeah. you know how they have to have like all like fireman-themed things? Like Everything he owns is red. Or he's oh, a yeah. No, he's, yeah, he is, he is uh, a pony with a single trick. And that trick is, I want to be Ryu, or be inside Ryu. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So, so we get a we get a short scene. We alluded to this. We get a short scene where Zangief and Blanca fight in a casino, I guess. Yeah. And like nothing really happens. It's just sort of, hey, these characters are in the games too. Look at them for a second. Right, and, and Blanca like recutes him, and that's it. Besides the robots that are dressed like the Swedish chef that are running around, there's nothing really fantastical in this movie except Blanca. I mean, I you know, the Hadoukens or whatever. But, like, nobody seems to react to this, like, actual mutant monster that they've let loose to fistfight in a casino. And everybody's too busy pouring champagne on bitches' thighs to pay any attention to what's going on. Yeah, no, they're, they're, no one... No one cares at all that they're like, okay, we've got the best Russian wrestler in the world, and we have some sort of forest monster man who can electrify his skin. Yeah. Let's just see what happens. Totally not lost. Yeah. I mean, Dalsim doesn't even breathe fire at any point during Dalsim's fight scene. 
No, they, they like, lead up to it, and there's kind of a pregnant pause, but everybody's so distracted as Ryu walks by that it doesn't happen. Because <laughs> Ryu's got to walk by and help the kid with the milk money, and then, uh, and then somebody's got to get shot Sonny Corleone style. Oh, yeah, like, look how they massacred his boy. That guy gets got. Yeah. Who like, is super- that? It's a Shadow Law terrorist. Which other terrorists, it, it, too? Like, in addition to be, like, vague drug kingpins, they're also terrorists. They got, dude, Bison's got a lot on his plate. Oh, yeah, they're, they're like a Swiss Army knife of evil. There's even a little toothpick that you, you don't really want, and you're okay if you lose it, but you kind of like having it just to keep the thing complete. Like, Bison by himself would take up every division in a police force. I mean, he's got vice, he's got narcotics, he's got homicide, like, international terrorism. Um, he's tying up the PSYOPs division because of his psycho powers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He'd be all the, your, your X-Files division would be in it, too. I mean, it, everything. Um, so, yeah, so, so, so here we are. We're, we're, I think we've reached the point of the, the shower scene again, okay. which is, what, what I will say is you get, you get a very Cinemax survey of Chun-Li in the shower. Yes. Including that her breasts, like, quadruple in size between when she's wearing clothes and when she's in the shower. Well, it's because it's hot. Oh, it's like, that, I forgot like, that's how those work. Yeah. yeah, like, bridges expand in the summer. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's, it's yeah, it's, uh, yeah, yeah. It's it's physics. I, I'm, yeah. I'm on board. Yeah, that's uh, right. But what I will say is that there was, I loved the, and, I, and I'm throwing air quotes around this, but I loved the camera work of that sequence because as we're waiting for... Vega to Richard Ramirez, the situation, like, they're doing really good work in going tight shots on the corridors and things, and giving you the sense that, that they're, that, yeah, this guy's stalking through here, and we know that we're not ourselves, we're not perceiving as ourselves, we're, this is a very, like, horror movie trope sort of perspective, I thought it was great. Yeah, this movie is exceptionally well-directed. Yeah, no, th- totally. Um, oh, 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 uh, Chun-Li gets out of the shower and she turns on her tube transistor radio set? Do you she's remember got, that? Yeah, she's got like a quartz radio. It's like a fucking science kit radio. Yeah, she she has, and it's, I mean, it's 1994, so I get it. Like, my, my dad had a, had a, uh, you know, uh, uh, the tuner and everything. Like, you, it was like a five, <laughs> a five component set. Yeah. To make the sound system work, so that was fine. But I was just blown away when I saw all the all the bulb transistors. <laughs> like, huh? Okay. Yeah, she got it at the Woolworths. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so so they have their badass fight, and um, uh, Guile is trying to call her this entire time. But Guile is stuck in traffic, and. I, I've got to say, there's there there are a few things as hilarious as this massive hulking dude trapped inside a fastback Mustang trying to get through traffic because he looks like the uh, way too tall man from The Simpsons who's driving the largest auto he can afford. Yeah, they all look like McDonald's toys. Yeah, like they're yeah. like cartoonishly like everybody's too big to be in a car in this movie. And, and so Guile's stuck in traffic, and then somehow just wills himself through the traffic, I guess. It's weird, because it's clear that he's, like, way backed up on a highway. Yeah. But but when he when he hears, because during the fight, 
Chun Li knocks the receiver off of her landline phone. Right. Uh, and and so Guile hears the screaming and the fighting sounds, and he's like, "Oh, Chun Li, I'm coming for you!" Because Guile is still doing this very like Teutonic, uh, all American hero thing, where he doesn't want to help anybody, but Chun Li's his little sister, and he's gonna he's gonna go help her out. But he's uh, also got that weird like that she said she was gonna be home. Like, where is it? You know what I mean? Like, he's starting to question whether or not she fucking bailed on him. Yeah, he was getting pissed off like she was ghosting him for not picking up the phone the one time he called. <laughs> um, oh, during the fight, uh, Chun-Li throws a couch. That is true. And that was so cool. Because <laughs> I was like, okay, I I mean, I, I, I will buy anything now. Everybody can do anything. She throws a couch across the room, like, g- really good ground clearance, and hits yeah. Vega. It's, un- it's unfortunate that she's kind of sidelined for the, the whole second half of the movie. Yeah, that's that was going to be my my thought too. Is you know uh, because we this des- the movie deserves praise for giving her like an actual action sequence where what we've seen in the previous two things we watched is just women being uh, used for you know used as sexual traps and basically left useless or left to die or whatever. Um, and Chun Li's really clearly powerful, but then the movie goes, "Oh, we can't, we can't have Chun Li in a story about Ken and Ryu getting together." So she's going to be in a coma now. Yeah. And so she's in a coma for the rest of the movie. Well, they want nothing to distract from this love story. They don't want to add a fucking like a free radical in there. Yeah, no, no, because come on, because I mean, if she gets introduced, then maybe Ryu could develop feelings for a woman. And then you got it like no Ken needs to needs the time to turn Ryu because I'm are are you thinking that Ryu's straight and Ken's gay or are you thinking they're both gay? I feel like Ryu's asexual. If I had to yeah, assign okay. him something like and like totally oblivious on top of it. Yeah, that's a good point. Right? Yeah, Ryu is totally asexual. He's like almost a he's almost a human. Like he he's he's passing through the world. As, as an individual entity with no connection to anything. Yeah, he is a star man. Like, all he cares about is lifting weights and kicking ass and, like, has no concept of anything else going on around him. Like, at all. Yeah, no, that's that's a good point. So, yeah, okay. So, it's... So, I mean, this is this is really a harrowing tale of unrequited love. Yes. Like, how, but, how long? But I think it gets requited at the end because every time... Because Ryu refuses to fight uh, brainwashed Ken, but every time he yells, God damn it, I'm your friend, it just take out friend and add wife, because that's the scene. Oh, that's, yeah. That's the true romance, like, God damn it, I'm your wife, like, like snap out of it. And, and, and uh, spoiler alert for this movie, it works. Yes. Ryu is able to talk Ken out of brainwashed evil just by talking they refuse to fight i think they 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 fight each other for like what uh 15 seconds yeah where there's a little back and forth but ryu's doing that ryu's also doing kind of a uh it's very much a luke in return of the jedi thing it's like come on yeah hey because this (laughs) psycho power is no match for simmering homo love which is we're just like the uh did you ever did you ever watch the care bears movie uh, probably, but I don't recall it. Okay, so uh, a revealing story about Nate Regolia for 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 everyone. Um, 
the Care Bears movie is one that I watched dozens of times as a, as a little kid. And it's like a movie that I would cry at the end of every single time. The, uh, the, the premise is basically that there's like a, a kid who is, or it's not even a kid. It's like a demon, an evil demon character who takes the form of, let's say, a nine or ten year old boy in a red tracksuit. Okay. And the whole premise of the movie is that the Care Bears are trying to get him to, like, love again, to not be evil. And they turn him at the end. And I just, I have I have a very, like, visceral uh, memory response to this thing. Because <laughs> I'm sure it's not anywhere near as, as emotionally resonant as my memory makes it seem. No, but um, you've attached it to these two karate men. Yeah, but it's very much that. They, they're doing that same thing. It's just, like, come back to me. Come back to me. It's okay, you know. And granted, they they uh, and uh, well, they they consummate at the end because they team up and they officially kick the crap out of Bison together, yeah. which is the closest thing to intercourse as they're going to get in this movie. Well, yeah, they both they defeat Bison by simultaneously orgasming. Yeah, they both pull down and they make a super hudoken yeah. by crossing their streams. And then it just kind of ends. Yeah, and then it, and then it just kind of ends. We 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 uh, we swing back over uh, to Chun Li's side, and Guile shows up because Guile's been like watching. Well, he's right been summoned. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he gets knocked out. Like every character, like ancillary to the three of them, gets knocked out in ten seconds prior to this like twenty minute fight scene. Which I mean, that, and that fight scene was really cool. It was, it was well done. Yeah. As as ev- all, I mean, you said it. The, the the direction of this of this is so good. I mean, it really, it it, like, we aren't steeped in the kind of laziness that we saw in Goku, where it's just like, hey, we're just gonna look at somebody's face in a steady shot for ten minutes while they speak dialogue or or drop exposition. Like everything's constantly in motion in this, which is really uh, that was refreshing. Yeah, it feels like a movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It feel, I mean, it feels... It, because I, 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 throughout this, was like, why couldn't... Like, why did no one go to Jean-Claude Van Damme and say, hey, we need to do the live-action version of this. We have a script already. We already know how to do this thing. Just do this. Don't make this a weird thing where you're the Belgian head of the not-UN trying to do whatever like this doesn't have to be this weird and confusing like we we have a good movie already let's just do that movie yeah i don't think you were telling john claude van damme shit at that point because i mean he's the whole reason this movie gets made oh no no you're you're right you're right because he's yeah i mean he's all cocaine and and uh self-assurance i guess uh, another movie that's a uh, central plot hinges on uh like a barely below the surface gay love interest with him and Charlie. It's like pretty pronounced. Oh yeah. 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 He, I mean, in, in, in that street fighter movie, he basically like ruins everything in their operation by calling bison out on like cable news. Right. Yeah. Which somehow he can hear bison respond, I think through the television, which is insane. Yeah, I mean, but but the idea that like you're the head, you're the head of like the UN peacekeeping force, and you're gonna go on TV 
and specifically call this guy and be like, you're not going to get my buddy. Yeah. And then they, of course you are. They send some fucking suit weasel down there to fire him. He tells them to fucking kick rocks. And there's nothing they can do about it because he's eight times the size of everybody else there. Yeah. And he proceeds to... Like, Guile in the... Maybe in this movie, but especially in the live action movie, he's going to The Hague very quick. Oh, yeah, he, yeah. He's, no, he's, he's lived the rest of his life in Gitmo. <laughs> oh, my God. Um... But yeah, back, back, back to the good version of this. Right. Um, uh, so Guile, after being knocked out, he quickly zips back to New York, I think. Yeah, to find where, that's, in that's where hospital. I found out it was New York. And, uh, and yeah, and, and then uh, we walk in and the, the sheet's over Chun-Li. And Guile starts just opining how he failed his, his little sister. And, oh, he has, um, he has a Scarlet O'Hara level breakdown when he sees her with the sheet over him. To the, to the point where, like, it has a weird tonal shift from, like, the little sister to, like, love interest, it almost feels like. Yeah, it, it definitely felt like he was he was really planning on coming home for, like, a, a victory hookup. Yeah. And then he was like, oh, no, all of my plans, and, and you're dead, and I loved you. <laughs> no, he was getting her in that F-14 and flying her to Pound Town. That's what he was planning on doing. <laughs> Surface to air dick. Oh, my gosh. Um, but... Uh, no, it turns out Chun, Chun Li was just fooling. She she throws the sheet back after and and again to the direction like they hold on her being dead for long enough that I was like maybe she really is yeah. and then she's like nope I'm not ha ha and then she holds up a copy of the New York Times which is written <laughs> as the New York Times that has a headline about Bison being defeated by Ken and Ryu. Yeah, and it is like the least punchy headline in the history of the New York Times. It is like. 80 words long. But it is but it is on the front page of the New yeah, York Times. This yeah, this covering events man, that presumably happened on the other end of the world. Yeah. Yeah. The this, day before Karate defeats no evil is is an above the fold story on the front page of the New York Times. <laughs> Two street fighters take out <laughs> warmongering international terrorist leader? I, yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, and as for comment, Ryu res- responded, what is shadow law? <laughs> right. <laughs> what? What? Shadow law? Shadow law? Um, so, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's... And, and, then, and then we cut to the, the scene of Ken and Ryu who have been unceremoniously dumped at a gas station that may or may not be open somewhere in rural America, I think. Yeah, they're they're definitely. I mean, they they are on the side of a scenic, uh, riding off into the sunset highway. Like this is a set piece we need. I don't care how they get there. Put yeah. them, and uh, and yeah, they like hug it out. They're like, hey, that was great. And Ryu's like, okay, cool. I got to go beat stuff up some more. Yeah, Ryu leaves no forwarding information. I'm just like, I'll see you when destiny brings us together again. Like, and we all know what destiny is is code for. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. so yeah, and then and then Eliza picks Ken up at the gas station, and they drive off going one direction, and Ryu yeah. walks down the highway, and the credits start to roll, and it's it's super end of the '80s Hulk TV show where he's oh, just yeah. walking down the highway by himself. He's not hitchhiking. He's got nowhere to be. He's just gonna wander. Still and then suddenly, barefoot. And then suddenly, this semi shows up. Oh, you know what, Nate? 
I missed this because once the credits start rolling, I dipped. Oh, okay. So the credits start rolling, and you get like two minutes in, and a semi pulls up behind Ryu, and M. Bison is driving the semi. Ryu turns around and sees it, and what he does is he jumps to kind of do like the power uppercut thing. Yeah. And he's like turning to presumably attack the semi, and then it cuts to black, and we get the rest of the credits. We don't see what happens. I totally missed that. (laughs) We don't get to see what happens at all. Well, presumably his foot ends up in his brains as it hits this fucking truck. Yeah, I mean it. It it is a it is a semi truck barreling down at him, and his his solution is not not to simply get off the road or try to dodge the truck, but it's to turn around and try to kick the truck. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that sounds like the most bison thing possible to go hunt this guy down in a fucking big rig. Which probably has a load of chickens or some shit in the back that he's also contracted to deliver, because why not? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I want that whole story, too. Yeah, it's either that or it's it's another Capcom truck, because when, when Ken has his masturbatorial fantasy while driving after proposing... Which and, one? And totally... Well, he's... After he proposes to Eliza, they're driving, and he, like... He, like, starts thinking about Ryu and totally forgets how to drive or even pay attention to the road... And he's about to, like, they're about to head on into a semi, and he pulls out of the way, and we see that on the side of the semi it says Capcom. Oh. Is that the one, is that the, the flashback where he, like, is falling off the mountain and Ryu, a la Crispin Glover and Hot Tub Time Machine, like, pulls this 600-pound man up with one arm? Like, oh, yeah, 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 it was that one. Because they, cause they share a very uh, powerful glance with each other. Oh, it's like, you know, the, the whole, the subtext of that scene is as soon as you pull me up there, I'm going to fuck or be fucked by you, Ryu. Oh, yeah. You saved me. You saved yeah. me, and this is, this is how we complete our training. Let's go back and, let's hurry up and fuck so we don't get yelled at by this house. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. You don't want that house telling you. No. You gotta use protection. Oh, man, if those walls could talk. And they do. <laughs> Rags, how many waifus do you get a Street Fighter 2 movie? Okay, uh, I, you know what, I, I'm i going to give it 9. I think it gets 9 out of 10 waifus. I think this is a, a comprehensively excellent film um, for what it is. I'll qualify yeah. it with a big for what it is. This is, not, this is not, like, rapturously interesting. It's not told in some sort of remarkable and compelling way. It is a straightforward take on translating this video game property into a film about people traveling around and fighting in the street. And it does so with a story that is enough framework to work and without any of the weird pretensions that would have brought this down. Yeah, because the easy way to do the story, and like surprisingly they never do it, but it works this time, is to do the Bloodsport story. It's just the tournament. Right. Like, But they, there's no nothing to speak of tournament-wise. There's an actual narrative that... Makes at least Japanese sense. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the whole thing with the surveillance robots is, is it's so not, it, it, it matters so little ultimately that it worked really well for me. Because yeah. it, it doesn't make this, you know, it, he wasn't gathering everybody together for a tournament or something because I, I feel like they could have done that and this could have been like an hour longer and it would have been worse, like way, way yeah. worse. And instead it's just, no, look, we, we needed some narrative device to make it so you were watching these guys fight in their home territories, and then we have one traveling character 
and we have one character that's in love with the traveling character, and then we have one guy that just wants to be a hero, and then we have a badass chick, and that's it. And yeah. we're going to just do that. And Yeah, I I really liked it. I, I will probably watch this again, and not entirely ironically. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm going to give it a 9, too. It is, like, intensely watchable. Like, it... You're like, like it's enrapturing almost because this movie like is not slowing down for anything. Yeah, no, there's no, there's no dull moments, and like, I mean, because that even you know your your monster point champagne on lady's thigh, like these, there is like the the tapestry of the interstitial scenes are so richly weird and fun that as you're going from fight to fight, it's like, okay, cool, I'm just these are loading screens between the stuff that I want to see, but at the same time. Everything is, at least if not rich in substance, it's rich in enjoyment. Like, yeah, I, yeah it was. It was just. It was just a fun time. Yeah, I really enjoyed this one a lot. And I was worried. I was more worried actually about this one than the other two before we watched them. I was like, oh man, this might be really bad. Oh, I had the same feeling because I was like, hey, I, I mean, because I, I picked this. I was kind of like, let's just do it because it's on there because it's on Amazon Prime. Um, and I had the same thought. I was like, well, you know, this this could be the most boring one we've watched. This could yeah, be just tragically stupid. My fear was it was just going to be a setup. Like, it was going to be, like, the pilot for the Street Fighter show. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. Oh, yeah, where they just introduce everybody and they kind of, like, assemble an old high five at the end and we'd be like, great. What yeah. was that for? But no, this is a complete narrative from beginning to end. It definitely ends. Well, I, it ends a little bit earlier, than, later than I expected it did. But yeah, everything's resolved to the extent that you could resolve this plot. You know what I mean? There's no like dangling threads. Like, what happened to so and so? Oh yeah, no. I mean, everybody, all the all the side characters that get paid fan service show up, and they have uh, at least satisfying reasons for no longer being involved. Like, they have story reasons for not being involved. And uh, and yeah, it's just a, a beautiful love story. And I I am you know I feel closer to you that we watched this together even though we had to watch it from a great distance across the country. Me too. We'll do a live episode one of these days. Oh man, we got to. That would be so much fun. Um, I just wanted to add a couple. I'm, I'm looking at the IMDb right now. So we've got uh, Bo Billingsley was was a voice of DJ. Uh, he was credited as John Hammond for this film. Um, <laughs> Right, your, sci- your scientists were so worried about whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think about whether or not they should. Hey, you know, somebody's got to be a clever girl. <laughs> we also have uh, uh, Mr. Uh, Steve Blum, also in this. He well, played. You, you you aren't making an anime without that guy getting a paycheck. Oh man, he's so he plays reporter one, soldier, T Hawk, hmm. and ring announcer. Okay. Um, and he is credited as Richard Cardona. Hmm. And then Brian Cranston plays Faye Long, credited as Phil Williams. Uh, just really weird. I, I, yeah. Anyway, I think you're probably right. It was probably some sort of, it's got to be some sort of guild-related issue, and it's like, you can't, you can't make money doing this thing or what, uh, you know, who knows. Yeah. Working around things, but, yeah, I... This was this was a good one. This was fun. Yeah. You want to do a Fist of the North Star next week? Because that's oh. on Prime. Yeah, let's do it. This is this is like aggressively violent as well, right? Oh, it's it, like it's like almost irresponsible. It's so violent. Yeah, let's watch it.
I, I'm excited. I mean, it, especially given that we've got the election next week, so hopefully this will be the only irresponsible violence we have to witness. <laughs> oh, no, you know it's not. I know. We're <laughs> fucked. <laughs> All right, buddy. All right. Okay. I love you. Bye. I'll talk to you soon. Love you, too. Talk to you next right. time. Bye. Bye. Bye.